Welcome to Church Unscripted this week. If you're here with us and you've been watching us this year, this is our 50th episode. It's pretty awesome. We're uh, uh, that's a win. Let's celebrate. It exactly. Sure. We're getting we're getting right. Yeah, two claps, two claps. Slow clap, slow clap. We're excited about that, and so um, this is going to conclude our first season of the podcast, which we're pretty excited about that too, because we're going to get to start some new ideas, and we're going to be back in January. A huge part of that, though, is if you, if you've been watching, um, if you answer a survey, we're going to put it below. It's just a couple questions just to figure out um, some things about Church Unscripted for next year. Um, We're taking a short break, um, but I think it's been pretty successful, guys. What do you, I mean, what do you think? 50 episodes. Yeah. Well, you know, they, they say that, you know, if you can get past the first 20 episodes, then then your chances of continuing to make it happen will only increase. And so um, I'm surprised. Actually, I didn't know that we hit 50 episodes this week until <laughs> Dustin told us. And I'm like, holy smokes, how do we get 50 of those things in? And I think, I think you know, they say time flies when you're having fun. And I, <laughs> I mean, I just think when we come to these kind of conversations, I thoroughly enjoy it. And I'm hoping that, that it has continued to bring value and insight and, um, you know, another side of church to our people listening that then perhaps they get elsewhere. So uh, I appreciate you guys being a part of this and all the guests that we've had from Courtney to Brian to Luke and whoever else has been on here. So um, I've enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to next year. And I think without betraying the plans, I think we have a little bit of a change of plans for what we want to do with it next year that I can't wait to to tell people later on. I'm I'm thinking of- uh, Expand. Don't ruin it. Don't ruin it. Expand. Expand upon. Expand upon. It might include some really, really hot chicken wings. Um, if I think if we're doing that in the first episode, yeah, yeah, maybe not weird? January. Maybe we'll lead up to it, or okay, something like that. Um, those of you watching, I just want you to know that whatever episode that is, it'll be our most watched because <laughs> yeah. if you've ever seen Pastor Eric eat hot stuff. It's funny to watch. I remember, yeah, and it one doesn't time, last long. I can't handle it. Well, yeah. We, one time you we were at lunch. You oh. probably remember this. It was like you're like, yeah, I want a buffalo wrap, and then you're like, this is way too hot. You were like three bites in. You're like, no buffalo. I'm like, <laughs> you ordered buffalo. So I can't wait. This hot yeah, wing yeah. thing is going to be a lot of fun, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure who's going to last the longest. I'll be the first to go. I can guarantee you that. I mean, we might we might actually have to have like milk and water. You know. Yes. For the challenge, right? I can tell that conversation that day is going to be so productive. So I know. Well, Looking maybe maybe that's that a one. special episode. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> it's like uh, it, maybe we'll do it for uh, around the Super Bowl or something. You know, I don't know. We'll save that one for the sermon that nobody liked, so we don't have to talk about it very much. How about? Well, that? we could have done it on the one on hell. Easy, because <laughs> it was come about on. hell. I mean, come on. Oh wow, <laughs> it's that, hot uh, there, right? Uh, <laughs> so, nice analogy. No, that was a bad joke. That was a terrible. Well, well, joke, how about? Let's get into the sermon for a little bit, but then yeah. we're maybe we're going to talk about a little bit about Christmas and some of the things we're doing for Christmas. So, sure. so sure. can you can you give us a summary of Sunday? You talked about another Christmas song, Christmas hymn that we sing for many years. So what what was that? And and kind of give us a summary of Sunday. Yeah, you know, when preparing for this series and putting the plan together, there's of course dozens and dozens of Christmas songs that you could choose from, and so really the the trouble was how do you choose for Uh, out of so many good options. But I think when I landed on O Holy Night, which was this last weekend, I realized that it was very pertinent to um, where a lot of people are right now because one of the specific themes in that hymn, that Christmas hymn is change shall he break for the slaves are brother. Um, And so let us all praise him um, because oppression shall, shall cease. So the idea is that the reason that Jesus came is to break chains 
uh, to set people free from oppression. And when you focus on that part of the hymn, you realize it's talking about the purpose that Jesus uh, came to accomplish, Mm -hmm. which is based in Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me for he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, release to the captives and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I think I missed a part of that in there. But Jesus repeats that about himself in Luke chapter four. And so it's an encouraging thought to realize that because Jesus conquered Satan in the wilderness, mm-hmm. um, we were able, he is now able to uh, conquer our brokenness and our shame and our guilt um, because there's no other authority bigger than Satan that, that is a challenge to Jesus anymore. And so that should, I hope, have given uh, the people confidence and encouragement knowing that yeah. there's nothing that can stop Jesus from setting us free. And, you know, biblically speaking, bring us out of the wilderness where our sin brought us and back into the garden back in Genesis where it was marked by life and purpose and hope and beauty and so forth. I mean, that is a really exciting sermon. There's a lot of hope in that. Oh, absolutely. At at one point, I think you talked about um, Paul in prison and the jailer just asking like, tell me what this is, right? Mm -hmm. And I think there's an exciting part of Christmas that's about that because at Christmas, there's a few things I've noticed. People tend to be more open to talk about the birth of Jesus or Jesus in general, just because it's Christmas. Mm -hmm. Um, People are more reflective and more generous, it seems, because they're thinking, okay, what gift do I have to give to people? And then, you know, you're like, well, shouldn't I help with this or help with that? Like when we saw the response for Thanksgiving, it's Christmas season, you know, at church. So it's like, okay, well, people responded by giving meals to those less fortunate. So Mm -hmm. um, I think there's a lot that you unpacked and I'm just going to narrow down our focus a little bit today because I think, I think one of the things that I really appreciated was you talked about breaking chains and breaking free from um, things that are keeping us in bondage. So in that context of breaking chains and finding freedom, how can individuals discern between the voice of God and their own desires and fears influencing their decisions? Like how do we know that it's God breaking chains in our lives or helping us find freedom? Hey, do you have do you have an example or a case or something you would so mention? like uh, a good way a good way to think about it is like for example it's like well I'm I'm just going to I'm going to find a new job because this job is holding me back mm-hmm. and the reality is you don't like the job because it makes you work hard <laughs> do you know what I'm saying like that's just a simple example but how do we know it's God telling us to do something else mm-hmm. and not just us not wanting to change or maybe not wanting to break cha- free from the chain of sin of whatever we're struggling with. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm getting? David's like, whoa. Yeah, I'm, trying to like, I'm trying to process all that. Because um, like, like what I think of is there's times where we make a decision and it's out of fear, but we're telling ourselves and others, it's like, well, I'm breaking free from this. So it's a decision for comfort rather than a decision for freedom. Yes. Mm-hmm. How do we d- differentiate between the two? Mm-hmm. That's well, a good question. I mean, I think you can evaluate, am I making this decision because it makes me feel good or am I making this decision because I have no idea how it's going to work? Because mm-hmm. I think some of the best decisions I've made have been, I can't do that. So the only way that happens is if God shows up and he takes care of everything for me. So I think that could be, I don't know if that is... Well, so let me play devil's advocate with you a little bit, yeah. okay? Just like on the other end. So... Um, then isn't breaking free or having freedom, breaking chains, supposed to make us feel good? 
<laughs> he's asking, I mean, I thought these were supposed to be an easy question, Connor. Yeah, I didn't you know, say it was going to yeah. be easy. It's complicated. I mean, it's got to be related to the context, right? I mean, right. let me give you an example. Because when I was preaching, I guess I wasn't thinking of people's career options or a job-related issue. I chain, but, you know, example. it might apply. It might, in fact, apply. And so, case in point, a friend of mine um, um, has recently moved to Fort Wayne, Indiana, uh, because the the company that he was working for, based out of California, allowed for at home uh, work. However, the company just recently said we want to bring everyone back to the company to the headquarters to be in office, which would have required him and his family to move back to California. Now, um, that in itself isn't the issue, but what they have said is they believe that God led them to Indiana, mm-hmm. uh, and He wants them to be here. Yeah. So now you've got yourself into a difficult position. Now, do I mm-hmm. do I continue pursuing the career? or where I believe God mm-hmm. wants us to be. And so they didn't make a rash, um, hasty decision, which tends to almost always be a bad idea. <laughs> Instead, they just prayed about it. And they asked God to uh, kind of make a way for them to open doors, to shut doors and so forth, so that when things began to happen, uh, the decision would be easier than it would have if they just made a hasty decision. And so what happened is is another opportunity opened up where he could continue doing what he loves to do, yeah. but it could do it at home for a different company. Mm-hmm. And so now they are in still in the middle of God's will for their lives, but he's still able to provide for his family and do it in a way uh, that is consistent with God's call in their life. So I don't know if I would necessarily call that a chain. What I would do is say that can often be a hurdle or a barrier mm-hmm. uh, that people struggle through wondering if uh, this is the right decision. So some people can be chained to a decision they simply can't make a decision on. And so, so, they, so yeah. they have a sensitivity to God directing them. Oh, like, yeah, I think absolutely. that's kind of maybe the core of it. Maybe that's kind of where we land is that we need to have a sensitivity to where God's leading us. Yeah, well, rather than I mean, like mm, for, mm, for, for that situation, it's easier for them to stay in the house that they already live in. It's hard to give up a career, but it is the easier thing to stay somewhere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then that ease was just like, the only way that it happened was God showed up and provided a way. Yeah, yeah. They weren't fighting for a right. new job to stay. Right. They were comfortable Absolutely. kind of sitting and waiting. Yeah. And that's how you know God is showing up. Okay. Yeah, you, you do though. You do hit on an important topic though because, because indecision is, is very much a bondage issue for people. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about like major decisions. I'm also talking about like small decisions. Yeah. Like how, how do we build a budget as a family or how do we spend our money or, you know, how do we That's not a small kids? decision. No, it's, it's a big decision. <laughs> but, you know, we tend to not talk about those things when we're talking about chains. It's usually referring yeah. like sin and addiction, yeah. Yeah. those kind of things. But there are some people whose marriages are suffering because they cannot mm-hmm. make a decision on things. Mm-hmm. There are marriages who are suffering because they cannot agree on things. And so- if Satan's like, hey, if you give me that open door, sure, yeah. I'll use that as a as a as a um, and a a place of bondage in your life mm-hmm. if you let me. And so maybe freedom in that sense is Jesus giving you the uh, the courage, really, yeah. uh, to break through that insecurity mm-hmm. and say, I'm going to make a decision, yeah. and we're going to be unified on this. Yeah, that is pretty hard. Think, yeah. I I was thinking so big picture, and then I had this deep question. But I've got a question that's not nearly as deep. Okay, we'll see about that. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Have there been times that you've seen doubt or struggles someone has in their faith mm. um, produce unexpected outcomes and, and in the end lead to deeper faith? Do you know what I'm saying? Like when you're struggling with a faith issue, like you're like, uh, 
you know, you, you've shared before about your experience to have having a Buddhist monk come to your class in college. That was a crisis of faith. So when you have a crisis of faith, have you seen opportunities where there's deeper, deeper faith, deeper freedom for individuals or for even a church as you explore those things? You know, I'm going to actually turn that question around and put it back on you guys because the Christmas <laughs> story is a perfect um, case for your question. Because in the Christmas story, there are two separate people um, who hear a word from the Lord. Both of them doubt, yet both of them experience a vastly different response from the angel who gave them the message. So one of them is Zechariah. He will be the father of John the Baptist. So the angel shows up to Zechariah and says, hey, you're gonna have you know, a son. Zechariah's like, what? How's this possible? My wife is old and everything. It's not gonna even work. She's barren. Um, and so the, re- the response to that doubt from the angel was, all right, you're going to be silent. You're not even going to be able to speak until the day. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah I know what you're That's talking about. Story. That's why I'm laughing. I'm just like. <laughs> it, it's almost like his expression of doubt led to a, a, like a form of punishment. Yeah. But then you go to Mary, who is not old. She's 16, maybe. She's a teenager. She has no theological training. She's not a priest like Zechariah is. And so if there's, of the two, if anybody would have the least amount of faith in God or a word from an angel, it would be Mary. And mm-hmm. yet when she expressed her doubt, like, how can this happen? I'm not even married. I'm a virgin. Uh, the angel doesn't punish her in a sense with silence. Um, he, in a sense, blesses her uh, and says, um, I mean, so I mean, there's two different responses. So, to- so I, I think, I, I think ultimately you're describing two different types of people, right? Yeah. And so like, you're pushing this back on us. So I got some thoughts. You guys got to answer this. Because because when was it comes down question? to it, I don't think he there wasn't a question, there was a statement. There was a statement. Oh, okay. okay. He told okay. the story. Read the question between the lines. All right. Okay, I said, uh, let's see. Yeah, anyways, deep, deeper sense of yeah, faith no, yeah, is kind of what my you. point was. But yeah. so so when, when Zachariah, when he responds, he responds like someone that knows his reality and has put parameters on what that reality is. Doesn't have as much faith. He's like, this is what God's word says. How could this ever happen, mm-hmm. right? Mary responds with, wait, what? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you read the passages, it's more like shock maybe is the best word. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a virgin. I mean, I, I can't imagine being there. There's inflection and stuff. We're just yeah. reading text on a right. page, but but it is the living, breathing word of God. So, I mean, I could I could just imagine like her being like, uh, how's this going to happen? And she's probably like this, like angel's really bright. Zechariah sees the angel. You know, what's interesting is the angel, I believe in his case, doesn't say, do not be afraid. If I remember right. Mm. If it does, then you guys can all correct me online. But, um, <laughs> but with Mary, the angel does because she's frightened yeah. and she's afraid. And so she has this youth-like faith yeah. and goes, okay, God can do everything anything. Maybe that's kind of the open hands of Mary and why people say, oh, it's Mary, the mother of God. You know, like it's interesting. So what you're saying is that Mary had more faith, but more ignorance. Yeah. Um, Yes. Zechariah had less faith because he thought he had more knowledge. Yes. And I think there's, I think there's even like, I think of that, like Zechariah had more to lose Mm -hmm. than Mary did. Yes. Because Zechariah was more established in where he was in his life. Mm-hmm. People respected him mm-hmm. and all these things. So if you come out and you say like, hey, this is what's going to happen. People are going to be like, this guy, nope, credibility gone. Like right. it's not going to happen. So he had more to lose. So it was almost like a response of like, well, don't mm-hmm. like, I don't want to mess things up. I got things going pretty good right now. Uh, whereas Mary was like, 
just that, that youth-like faith of like, I don't, I don't know, I don't understand, but if that's what God's asking so, me to do, mm, then right. yes, I don't have, like she had a lot to lose with the whole laws of, of how marriage worked in that day and stuff. But she was probably just like, uh, yeah, I got a few there's, so. There's a, there's a bigger question to this whole, I mean, I'm glad you, I'm glad we finally went to, to Zechariah and Mary. It's interesting. If we're going to talk about Jesus being a chain breaker, right? And a bondage breaker, mm -hmm. um, Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, their entire life were in bondage to the stigma of they are cursed of God because they can't have kids. And sure. then the angel shows up, and even though he displayed a lack mm -hmm. of faith, that chain was broken because they had John the Baptist. He was still blessed. Absolutely. Yeah. On the other hand, Mary, I mean, even though she's 16, she was living a life that was not in bondage. I mean, she had her future in front of her. Yeah. She was looking forward to her wedding to Joseph and so forth. And she was in line with right living with God. However, the moment the angel said, you're going to get pregnant, all of a sudden for the rest of her life, including Jesus' life, yeah. she would live in the bondage mm -hmm. of a stigma of you had you were unfaithful. Yeah. In fact, Jesus himself would be called illegitimate. It's almost like in that moment, one person who was in bondage was set free, and yet Mary and her entire family who was not, who was already free was kind of put in chains in bondage to a stigma that they did not deserve. Respond to that a little bit. Gosh, Eric, you said I have hard questions, man. You're welcome. You hey, I'm just getting back at you. Well, so let me let me uh, let's let's look at the whole of Scripture for a yeah. second, okay? In the whole of Scripture, you have in the Old Testament repeatedly there's stories of people that are like Mary, for example, like are considered like Mary. You have you have Rahab that was a prostitute, and basically God put her in Hebrews chapter 11 in the hall of faith. I'm like, how did a prostitute end up being listed among like the 10 most faithful people in the Old Testament? Mm -hmm. What? Mm -hmm. um, you, have, you have other cases of people that as far as our society and culture for all of history have considered dirty, unworthy people that are given worth. Ironically, I would say, to what you just said, that Mary was given the highest honor, but yet the world looks at her as having the lowest honor. And so that's the shift yeah. I think that really is really going on. And that's easy to see in hindsight. Like we're reading scripture yeah, and like, right. oh yeah, Mary, look. But at the time we might've been the people, you know, in her neighborhood, like, oh, look at Mary. She's starting to show, you know, and they're not married yet. Joseph and her are engaged. Something must've happened. But the reality is she knew in her heart, and we hear, we hear about that in scripture, mm -hmm. she knew in her heart that that was God's baby, not hers. <laughs> you know, I mean, she was, she was giving birth yeah. to the baby, but it was like, that's, that's something different. So I feel like there's, a, there's some more nuances there than just <laughs> she lost everything and she doesn't look right in society. But the reality is, I, I, I think there, there's a good lesson there. Many times when we're following God in faith, we're going to do things that the world looks at us and might mock us, might make fun of us, might not look right to the rest of the people, but it is what God's calling us to do. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Am I, am I, do you, I mean, I'm not saying we go out yeah. like all of a sudden I'm going to go, you know, do drugs or something. I'm just saying like yeah. there's certain things that may not look right to the world. So, so what you're suggesting is that part of the freedom that Jesus sets us, brings us into 
while it might bring his freedom spiritually in his eyes, it might actually put something of a cultural uh, stigma on us or some kind of a cultural chain on us. I mean, that, that's pretty much what is promised in, in the end times. Mm-hmm. In the revelation is if you are faithful to me, you're not gonna be able to buy food. You're gonna be stigmatized as, as a follower of the way and so forth. And you're gonna be um, hindered mm-hmm. from living in society. Um, it's, it's, it's almost like the more we find freedom in Jesus, the more potential there is uh, to being in bondage and chained to the culture around us. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if for a lot of us, I mean, for some of us, maybe it's true, but for, throughout history, for most Christians, you cannot have your cake and eat it too. You cannot have freedom in Christ and freedom in the culture. And I think our current circumstances, which is such a microcosm, not a microcosm, a micro experience mm-hmm. uh, compared to the rest of Christian history, right. is that if you are a follower of Jesus, you are free in him. But that probably means you're gonna be some, somehow chained or um, oppressed mm-hmm. in the world around you. So I think it's hard for us in our context right now to understand what that actually looks like. Yeah, I I agree. I think, <laughs> I, I mean, Did you say that, I agree. <laughs> no, that, I I think that's that's true. I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of people that I know that want to be free in Christ, but then also live the way that they want to live and have the status that they want to have and the influence that they want to have. Uh, but God doesn't call us to that. He calls us to be faithful to Him. And that freedom is between us and Christ. And we're supposed to share that with others, but that stigma is still going to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think it's important so, to realize that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think that having your cake and eat it too is a great way of putting it <laughs> because I, this, this is the way I picture this is um, people that say things like this. I'm just going to use this like I'm pretending to be a character here. Okay. I'm a Christian influencer and I'm thinking you're a, Christian that influences other people or are you an influencer that's a Christian or you know how people nuance all those things the reality is when we have our identity in Christ first that's what matters the most and we will have a stigma with it but we also are I can tell from scripture it's very clear and you you talked about Paul and Silas right in prison on Sunday and Paul and Silas are in prison they have this jailbreak they don't leave Nobody weird. Leaves. That's yeah. nobody leaves. That's so weird. The jailer comes and says, "Thank you." Basically, I would have gotten killed because they would have killed me if you guys all broke free. Okay. And he, they do something countercultural, and they have influence on him. Mm-hmm. And he asks, "What must I do to be saved?" You can't have that kind of influence if your identity in Christ is not the first thing. Mm-hmm that you're showing people rather than the second thing or third thing, because you want this other type of influence, you have to do that first. So let me, let me take a few steps back in our conversation. Okay. Back to, um, maybe, maybe the, the our, our efforts to lead others to freedom. Okay. Cause we were talking about that a little bit. Um, how can individuals maintain a sense of hope and purpose in our sense to lead others to freedom? Um, when it seems ineffective or fruitless, what do you do when you're trying to lead others to freedom and they just, they're not listening? Hmm. They're not changing. Yeah, I, I would say part of it is, is you have to evaluate the way you're doing it. The other part is you have to trust God's timing and his, his, the Holy Spirit's influence. I mean, when I, when I say the first part of you've got to evaluate your process, mm-hmm. where you're doing it. When I was in, uh, I think, junior high or high school, I went to a, a youth conference in D.C. I think it's called D.C. 97, something like that. And one of the things that they did is they put us did all on Did you say 97? Yeah. Okay. You, all right. You just I'm just, older just double checking okay. what year it was. <laughs> I think I was like three years old then or something like that. Oh. Yeah. 
Anyway, uh, they put us all on buses and then dropped us off on different streets, very, very um, populated streets in D.C. and said, hey, just go up and down the street and talk to anybody you want to about Jesus. And so we are all gung-ho, like we're going to save the whole city. And so uh, a couple of friends of mine, they put us in pairs. We wouldn't be alone. Um, We found a cafe that had some outside seating and we saw this older guy sitting there by himself. We're like, all right, that's our target. And so we asked him if we could sit down and talk and we started explaining Jesus and trying to share the gospel with him. And he was so polite. He sat there and listened. It turned out that he is this university professor on science and he, he's an atheist and we could not keep up with his argument. And I'm thinking, why didn't that work? And I realized a couple things. One, it's it's not the the most productive. You picked way to, like Charles Darwin. Or oh something, man, I right? picked <laughs> like you picked like the dude. How? Now he was polite and courteous, which I appreciated. But but I mean, that was almost like a, a no win from the beginning. And I think part of it is is number one, I did not have the relational capital with him to actually mm-hmm. have that deep of a conversation with him to actually change the way he thinks. Mm-hmm. F- for someone like that. You've got to invest years. And then when there's crises in their life, then you don't, in a sense, capitalize on it, but you bring hope to them in a moment of despair. And that's when you introduce Mm -hmm. Jesus. You can't do that on a sidewalk in 15 minutes. And so part of it means that you have to evaluate the way you're doing it. So if I'm just walking up and down the street with a bullhorn saying, repent or burn in hell, that feels counterproductive to me. So figure out the best way to do it. That's actually scary. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's not what Jesus did at all. So if you're frustrated at those efforts, then it's understandable because that's not the method that Jesus lays out in scripture for evangelism. So, so I, I think that a lot of evangelism has to do with putting yourself in someone else's shoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you're sharing with someone your faith, how would you like someone else to share their faith with you? Mm-hmm. You know, do you like people talking over you? No, no, no. Uh-uh. Do you like people shouting at you with a bullhorn? Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. do, do you like, do you like random people just to use your example, walking up, you know, junior high students walking up while you're having your nice coffee, probably reading yeah. your paper, just getting your time, right? right. You know, right. Um, you know, looking looking at people at those times, and you mentioned a, a good point is there's there's always pivot points in our life, mm-hmm. times we're going through stuff, and who are we going to go to when we go through stuff? And if we as Christians can be the people that people go to mm-hmm. when they're going through stuff, no matter if your title is pastor, no matter if your title is whatever, barista, you know, like it doesn't matter. But if you're the, if you're the person that people think of to go to when their their life is difficult, I think that's the biggest one you can have when it comes to that. Oh, yeah, but if, in, if your life is not displaying the power of the cross, you shouldn't try to evangelize. I mean, Paul's ethic in the New Testament is, is I want to display the power of the cross and that's what gives my words authority. So you can, you can preach the gospel and go through the track all you want to, but if they look at your life and say, I don't see any power of God on your life, then it's a lost cause. I mean, it's, it'd be the same as if somebody who is from a different religion trying to evangelize me, I would say, well, I hear your words. I might even understand what you're saying, but I don't see the power of God on your life. Therefore, it's not appealing. It's not enticing mm-hmm. for me to be drawn into it. So yeah. um, that, that I think is the two critical things. Evaluate the way you're doing and then make sure that the power of God is being displayed in your life. Yeah, to, to, yeah, to go on to that, I think the that a, a key to that is the testimony of our, like our testimony. Like the only way that we're going to be able to impact people or to help them see maybe some of the chains that they're tied to is if we expose our own chains and we have a relationship with them and we say like, listen, like, 
you know, if they can see in our lives the power of God showing up in a way that we used to be bonded to something and now we're free, uh, that will change their heart. That'll change mm-hmm. their mind. And then they have more, they have like a little seed of faith simply because they've seen you overcome a bondage or a, a uh, so, oppression. So, but what's really powerful is testimony. So some people... I think maybe watching or even I, I've done this before. I think of the, when I hear the word testimony, I think of when <laughs> I was led to faith yeah, yeah. and that's it. The problem is every day is really a testimony. Mm-hmm. If you're a believer, God's doing something right now. Like I, I can think of like in the last seven days, like what are the testimonies mm-hmm. that I have of God's grace, God's mercy, yeah. God's power. When we start thinking in terms of that, Eric, I think it's a lot easier to do what both of you guys are saying. I mean, David said the same thing. It's like, I'm just sharing what God's already doing yeah. and how God's broken those chains. And they may be small chains. Like to some people, it may be something as simple as like, man, uh, the way my parents treated me, I know wasn't good. And all of a sudden, like God's freed me from having to yell at my kids every time they go to bed, you know, yep. like, yep. and I now realize that by God's grace, I'm freed from that, yep. you know? Um, it may be something like, you know, I, I've realized that I feel like I need blank and now I don't need it anymore, yeah. whatever it is. I mean, and when I say blank, it could be it could be things that are completely normal. I need my phone with me all yeah. times. I need this. I need well, that, I think so. too, like part of that vulnerability is like, like you said, the story is the story is continuous. And I think in Christian culture, a lot of times we like to put a period on our story. Like, mm-hmm. like I, I was blind, now I see, period. Well, it's static. Um, yeah, but, of being... but that that idea of your story being a continuous thing, like, yes, I was blind, now I see. Uh, I've been set free. I had a struggle with anger, and God set me free from that. And then I had a struggle with this. God set me free. Like, it just keeps continuing. Our stories are never, they never have a period until we die. Yeah. So, th- so there's, I mean, a reminder, there's a passage in the book of Revelation, and it's it's pretty incredible story. It's talking about this battle between heavenly angels and demonic forces and so forth. Um, and, and here's what it says. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. The only way that Satan can accuse you before God is if he's put chains on you. If he can use your failures, your brokenness, your past against you. But then verse 11 says, and they, talking about us, overcame him, talking about the devil, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. And I think it's fascinating that your testimony is a is a picture, it's a story of the freedom that Christ has given you so that when you look at your life, you're like, I'm not chained yeah. to that anymore. I'm not oppressed anymore because the blood of Jesus set me free. And therefore, when Satan, theoretically speaking, could stand before God and accuse us, now he's got nothing to accuse us of. And therefore, because of Christ, we have overcome him. And that's our testimony. So I, I really like that, that language. I mean, like bring. the... The idea of a testimony being that it's it's when Paul talks about all his great mm-hmm. things he's done, but then he's like, it's not me, but it's Christ in me. Mm-hmm. I think that needs to be our perspective. It requires a lot of humility. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, in thinking of that passage, I think of Philippians chapter two, when it talks about Christ's obedience to the point of death on a cross. And that being the example for us is, you know, when they defame him, 
we continue on, but we're going to suffer like Christ. And that's, that's a scary thing. If we're saved to something that says life's going to be easier, mm. life's going to, if God's will is going to make life easy, it's like, well, actually God's will may make mm. life more complicated. Yeah. There may be more difficulty. And I think, I think the, the core part though goes back to, we have to continue like our testimony is continuous because if it's not, it's the word of our testimony that matters. So, yeah. hey, yeah. Eric, so I said, I said we kind of, kind of close our time with a little bit more uh, casual conversation about Christmas and stuff. So I'm interested in what Christmas traditions you guys have. I know I just pivoted from serious. Man, that is a to, major that was pivot, a hard. That was a hard left. Kind of like the breathe again. So yeah, okay, okay, yeah. all right, all right. <laughs> our, our favorite Christmas traditions? Christmas traditions, I don't know. What do you guys do for Christmas? Yeah, so I, I like that uh, my family's kind of is carried on a tradition that um, I grew up with, and that is uh, on Christmas morning, uh, we wake up um, and then, I said, no, no, Christmas Eve, we open up our stockings. And so we can uh, go to bed before Christmas day, having some fun opening some stockings. And so it's just candy in there, maybe something simple, but it's fun to open and enjoy that. And then Christmas morning, when we wake up, um, we make a breakfast, a good breakfast, way better than cereal, you know? Um, and then we read the Christmas story and that's really good so that we can have the context of it. And then we just so, open presents so and have Eric, a great time. In light of our current conversation, uh-huh. do you tell the Christmas story with a bullhorn? No, you don't. Uh, uh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Heather would be like, I'm doing this from now on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's funny. So uh, da- David, our- uh, David, I do want you to mention though, you talked to me about your Advent tradition and I think that's really cool. Tell me about Christmas. Oh tradition. yeah, okay. Advent. So, uh, well, I'll start with Advent because that's before Christmas. But so we've done a, uh, a we open a book a day and it's been chaotic. So some days it's like we missed two and then we open three one day. But uh, we, we Katie and I wrap a book or Katie wraps them. I don't do it. I can't, <laughs> I can't take credit for it. Katie does it. She's going to watch um, this and know. Yeah, right? so uh, she wraps up the books, but then every day leading up to Christmas, we open a book. And some of them are, are just fun, holly jolly, 12 days of Christmas, whatever. But uh, a lot of them are very uh, gospel-based. And so every day we're reading a book that tells a different story of, of kind of redemption in a way. And then on the last, on Christmas Eve and Christmas, there's two specific books that we use every year for those two days. And it's more specific to the Christmas story. Um, but it's fun for our kids. They, they enjoy it. And the babies get some practice on uh, how to open presents. So that's fun. That's good. Um, <laughs> Win. Uh, so for Christmas then, uh, we do... We do dessert for breakfast, so that's our, so that's cake, ice cream, cobbler. I mean, it's. I think I'm stealing your idea. I was going to share my tradition, but that's not even that. So that's that's genius. (laughs) Give them a sugar high so that they crash and not snap time. It's amazing. Uh, Yeah. Wait, that's Christmas or Christmas Eve? Christmas. Christmas Eve. I mean, we're normally at church. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, We we do Christmas with my family normally on Christmas Eve, and then. We do our our family Christmas. I'm still uh, stuck on dessert for breakfast. Yeah, no, so we like, do Christmas morning. That's all I needed to hear. Right? I'm having morning, like a sugar for low. Breakfast. Um, we do our stockings, and then we uh, we we do music. We sit around the piano. We sing some Christmas carols. Uh, the kids like to grab instruments, and we just have fun. And then we read the Christmas story, and then 
open presents. So. Do, you, do you ever do Old King Wenceslas? You know, I always want to do that one. No. What is okay. that? Is that a Christmas hymn? <laughs> <laughs> Old King. No, I'm not going to sing that. You, <laughs> you, guys, say, you guys both look at me. <laughs> I'm not going to. No, I've done 50 episodes. and I'm I, I would have ended the episode now if you yeah, started. Exactly, exactly. So. so, so I've had so many different traditions in different phases of life, okay? Yeah. So when I was a kid, my parents used to buy things that would go like in your stocking. Yep. And they'd have us like open gifts starting on the 20th, right? Okay. I get one gift a night. And I started realizing it was like, wait, if I maximize as a teenager, like, why do I get all this trinkety stuff? I think I should just get one big gift, right? So I'd always ask for something big. A 60 CD changer with a cassette that we could oh, record. Oh, yes. it was a big deal. I had one of those. I know. It was awesome. Oh, 400 watt sound system. It blow the doors off my room that I lived in. But anyways, <laughs> um, so... So one of the things that I think, especially in ministry, you have to adapt because you're doing Christmas Eve services. Sometimes you have a service on Christmas, all kinds of stuff. One of the things that we've consistently done um, is Christmas Eve morning is like that that basically big breakfast. Usually it's something loaded with sugar, like cinnamon rolls with extra frosting and something that like just the kids go nuts. Um, and we do on on Christmas Eve, tend to open the stockings, but um, I found that we're usually going to visit family on Christmas Day, Christmas morning, and so it looks a little different. But Christmas morning is um, reserved for wearing the same pajamas as we're opening gifts. Um, it leads to a lot of comedic things at, at my in-laws. I love the tradition, but it's a little bit awkward. Just everyone <laughs> wearing the same pajamas. I'm like, dude, my two-year-old's wearing the same pajamas as me. Why are we both in a onesie? You know, like yeah, you're in a onesie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm like, like uh, recently, uh, it was like two years ago. Um, the thing that I wore was I have a gigantic Chewbacca onesie, and I also have one that fits our youngest now. That he would four. have something like that. And so he makes me wear that. He's like, dude, you have to like. Hazaya, he just goes, yeah, you wear that. And I'm like, uh, do I have to? Oh, I got a onesie. Mm -hmm. Just wait. I'll, I'll jump out on stage. You wait during, <laughs> during worship some week. You know, who's the crazy guy in the back? That might be the last Sunday he's here. I know, <laughs> so. I know. Yeah. I've scared people. I've scared people before. But no, I, I, think, I think one of the things about Christmas that I find so um, revealing is you get to spend time with family, whether it's your immediate family or extended family. So what, what is like your greatest Christmas memory moment. I have one that I think of, and it's not actually some, something that I was surprised by, but someone in my family was surprised by. Oh man, I don't, that's a hard one. I don't know. I don't so know if I'll I have tell you, one. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, yeah. what, what one of mine was. Um, one of mine was, um, so when I was a kid, my dad had two kidney transplants. And around Christmas, I don't know why my parents told me like this on Christmas, but they were like, we have a kidney for your dad. And I was like, oh, I was like, Merry Christmas. And I'm like thinking it's like the movies or something, right? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I have a kidney. And I'm like, but I remember like as a kid processing that and being like, man, that was, that was a good gift, mm -hmm. God. Like that made a lot of sense. Um, I remember one time that uh, my wife's sister, so my sister-in-law showed up and my wife didn't know she was coming, right? Mm -hmm. Shows up on Christmas and it's like, what just happened, you know, and tears and hugs and all that good stuff. And so I, I think, I think that sense of wonder when you get a surprise on Christmas mm. is so much deeper. And like, I, what I've tried to cultivate, and this is kind of why I'm, I, I asked the question, I had the, my own answer. So you guys probably have an answer too, but, but, um, was in those moments, cultivating that like sense of surprise and awe and wonder around Christmas 
is, is difficult when things are so busy. And it's difficult. Like when you read the Christmas story on Christmas, it means so much more than it does any other day because you're so focused on it. Mm-hmm. Your kids are focused on it. Your family's focused on it. So how do we, how do we cultivate that wonder, you know, and that awe? I asked a question, I answered it, and then I asked another one. We'll let you answer that one. That's, yeah. I don't have an answer. I don't. Have, I don't have an answer. I don't have an exact answer. I mean, the the sense of wonder and awe that you have from Christmas. I think part of the awe and wonder is that you can't explain it. No matter no matter how many times you read that story, it doesn't make sense. And so you mean like, a baby born of a virgin doesn't make yeah, sense? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Being in, like in a manger, like in a barn, like it just doesn't make sense you can't wrap your mind around like what Mary was experiencing in, in the, in the hut or cave or, you know, whatever. Like, it's just kind of a, well, you can't I, experience it. So what I'm saying is I think part of that awe and wonder carrying that outside of Christmas is understanding that we don't fully understand like that. There there's so much here. There's so much with Jesus that we don't have the answers for. A lot of times we try to have the answer. And so I think like with kids, you know, the awe and wonder is always there because like the answer is never good enough. Cause they're like, but there's gotta be a different way. Like the, the awe and wonder f- for us right now is how do people get to heaven? Like that's the, that's the daily question. Mm-hmm. How do people get to heaven? And I'm like, you know what? I don't know. But when we get there, it's going to be amazing. Like there's, I don't have an answer. And that, that kind of stirs up that awe and wonder in you. So maybe just so try not more than always, mystery, not having, not always, come to, not, not always try to have an answer. I mean, study scripture. There are some things that we can know and understand, but there's a lot of things that we'll never understand. Fair know. enough. Fair enough. Yeah. It's just, I think it's repetition. It's, it's when you tell the story, that's not the first time of the year that they hear it. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you take the opportunity to apply it to the story. Like if Jesus came and set us free, um, then what does that look like for your life? And so having those kind of discussions, not just on Christmas, but whenever the opportunity throughout the year gives you. And then that, I think it only increases the wonder, but the good questions, man. Yeah. Hey, so uh, everyone watching, this has been Church Unscripted, episode 50. And at the end of our first season, remember that we're going to put below a short survey, a couple questions. We'd love for you to answer those if you're watching. Um, We're so excited for Christmas, and we're looking forward to seeing you back in January. So until then, um, go back and watch some episodes that maybe you haven't watched yet. um, And you can be able to look at those um, in our YouTube channel. So we'll see you in January. Talk to you soon.